Good morning. As Rob said, my name is Rick Gromlich. It is a delight to be with you guys this morning. June, thank you for reading that passage. It was a beautiful job. Um, yeah, so we are a church plant as well in Mount Vernon. So we're about 40 minutes north of here. Um, Rob said, I do have the privilege of serving on the advisory team. Um, however, I don't know if Rob's ever brought an idea that we've been like, ah, Rob, like, come on. Rob has, has faithfully served... Um, Rob has been preparing to church plant for a long time. And so one of the gifts for me to be able to come, I've known Rob for a long time, I think, I think since 14 or 15. Um, we're almost the same age. And so Rob doesn't get to tell you really much about Rob. See, that's why I'm here, because I get to tell you about Rob. Um, and there's a lot of things I could say, but I'll just make it brief in that Rob um, has faithfully prayed for this church for years. Long before there was Citizens Church, long before Westerville was even on the horizon, he has been preparing and praying to shepherd a people and to lead a people. Now, that doesn't make Rob a superhuman, but it does make Rob a, a faithful pastor. So I just want to encourage you guys this morning that with Robert and with Ben, you are sitting under two men who, as Hebrews tells us, will have to answer to God for your souls and how they shepherded you. And so take great joy in that, take some rest in that, but be praying for these men and their wives and their families, be encouraging them uh, because you have a tremendous blessing with Rob. So I mean that wholeheartedly. Um, so yeah, a couple things about me. My, my wife Candace is with me this morning. We have two boys who are in the nursery, Will and Levi. Um, one, Will is three years old and Levi is 10 months old. Um, so they're growing very quickly. As Robert asked me to, to preach, um, which again is a, is a huge honor, he shared that you guys are going through the Gospel of Mark and that you guys are talking about um, how God, the story of God, kind of bringing back his wayward people. That's the theme through Mark. And as June read, we are in Mark chapter 6 this morning. And just kind of a, a quick recap, last week you guys, were, it was Easter and you guys are, are kind of going through the beheading of John the Baptist, uh, which is untimely, but th this is the word of the Lord, amen. So you guys are digging into that and just seeing this, this pattern of righteousness kind of neglected by the world not sought after, persecuted, and then buried. And all this comes under the cost of following Jesus, the, the cost of discipleship. Rob referenced the book, The Cost of Discipleship, which uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as you guys heard, uh, was martyred by the Nazis for his faith, was put to death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany in 1906. But 101 years before Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in Germany was born a man named George Mueller. If you know anything about George Mueller, he, he was born, raised in Germany. He, his parents moved to England, or his father did. His mom passed away. And George Mueller wanted nothing to do with Jesus or with anything that Jesus had for him. He was kind of on the run. He was always in trouble, rejecting his father's teaching. And eventually, the Lord caught up to him saved his soul, and started to do some pretty incredible things through George Mueller. See, George Mueller started five orphanages in his life for children. Uh, over the course of his life, took care of 10,000 children from the streets of Bristol. 
he raised over $117 million for these orphans. Now, here's the thing. George Mueller never, he never asked for a dime. He never solicited anyone for money. He never did a campaign or a fundraiser. He simply believed that the Lord would provide. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Like he literally just believed God would provide. If the Lord called him to this thing, then surely the Lord would sustain it. And so the interesting thing about George Mueller is he, he just believed it, that God would provide. And he believed that it should be ordinary for us as believers to trust the scriptures and to believe God, that God can do extraordinary things. See, the thing is, we, I think all of us want to be a part of extraordinary things. We want to be a part of something that matters, something that's kind of bigger than us, something lasting. We want to be maybe noticed or, or at least a part of something like that. But as you've been walking through Mark, remember the theme is about God bringing back his wayward people. And the way the Lord works is it's usually through little things, small things, simple obedience, simple faithfulness, things that we might think are insignificant the Lord uses to restore. This is the, the theme I hope to show you in the text this morning, that through ordinary faithfulness in Jesus, Jesus Christ accomplishes extraordinary things. Again, through ordinary faithfulness in following Jesus, in the, the little things, the, the simple things, prioritizing our time, how we love and serve people, understanding and holding fast to doctrine that is true. These aren't exciting things. These are simple things. But as we are obedient to those things and faithful to those little things, the Lord fulfills his work. And so as we see in Mark, the Lord bringing back his wayward people, he's using the truth of scripture. He's using interactions with people who, who love one another. Yes, this is a text about Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children so thousands of people with some bread and some fish. But I think what Jesus is showing his disciples and really anyone who wants to listen is that as a, as a Christian, we are to follow after him in simple, normal, regular things. Trying to show us, as the title of the sermon says, that through ordinariness, through regular ordinariness of our faith, man, extraordinary, extraordinary things happen. Now, we're going to talk a lot about faith this morning. So I just want to clarify briefly and quickly, though, um, our faith is a gift from God to us. We don't do anything to conjure up our faith. We can't work enough to have faith, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us, that it is a gift from God. So we can't take ownership in that. We can't take pride. I mean, look at me. I'm a, I'm a good Christian. No, this is God's gift for you and to you. And so there might be some who are here this morning who don't have faith. Maybe you don't want to have faith in Jesus. Maybe you've tried it and it hasn't worked for you. Maybe the things in the world are just kind of, they're better right now. They seem better. They look better. Or maybe you've tried everything else and you've, you've realized that nothing else will satisfy. That the Lord, our prayer this morning is that the Lord would open your eyes to see the truth of the gospel. To see how good God is. How sufficient Christ is to save you. 
and the kind of life he has for you. So that's a question. Think about that. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you banking on someone else or something else? So we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 people with, with five pieces of fish and um, five pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus the whole time is teaching his disciples. And again, anyone who, who wants to listen about the priorities and that priorities matter and teaching them that people matter and teaching them that beliefs, they matter. And Jesus has the authority to do this, to teach and proclaim truth because he is the bread of life. As he's giving out physical bread, feeding people, meeting their needs physically, he is the only one who can meet their needs eternally. And he knows that. With that, that's the introduction. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful just to be gathered this morning. Lord, we know there are believers throughout the world who have gathered today, who are gathering now to proclaim your good news, the gospel, to encourage one, one another and stir up our affections for you. Lord, for some brothers and sisters, it is quite difficult to gather. Lord, but we, we praise you that right now for us in this day, um, it has been easy, but may we not take that for granted. Father, we pray uh, just for, for our own hearts and souls as we are just laboring through this text. Lord, my words mean nothing. It is the words of life that we're after this morning. So encourage us, build up the bride of Christ, we pray. Amen. So if you will, um, take your bulletin. If you have a pen, if you don't, then this won't work. But just if you have a pen, I'm going to ask some questions at the end of the service. And I don't know if you guys are like phenomenal note takers or what, but just save a little space at the end of the bulletin for some questions that I'm going to ask. So again, picking this, this text up in verse 30, right, the disciples, um, man, they've just got back from this, like Jesus sent them out. And they're trying to report back to Jesus. The verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So the, all, Jesus sent them out. He said, listen, don't take food. Don't take extra, like, extra belongings. Like, I will sustain you. Trust me. Sends them out. They come back, and they're ready to, like, chat about it. And all this commotion is going on. So Jesus invites them to come away, to come away and, and rest with him, to come away and, and just spend some time. So Jesus, all over all the other things that are going on that, that he needs to do, that need done, He's like, hey, let's, let's go rest. Let's take a moment. So Jesus, and this is the first point, he prioritizes that priorities, they matter. Priorities, they matter, okay? Jesus is prioritizing rest with his apostles, with his disciples, above the immediate needs around him. We even see at the end of this passage, after Jesus feeds all the people, he, he sends the disciples away, he goes off and prays. This is what we see in verse 45 and 46. 
Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. While, while, he, um, sorry, while he dismissed the crowd, after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. So Jesus has kind of a structure and a priority. And this is just a regular day for Jesus, right? And so he's taking his disciples. He's saying, hey, you guys have been out. Let's prioritize some rest here, okay? And as, as people, you know, in the Midwest, we are not good at resting. I don't know who all's from where all, but where I grew up, man, if you work less than 60 hours a week, it's like, like, what's wrong with you? Are you lazy or something? You know, everyone's got like two or three jobs. Everyone's doing something. And so as a culture, we, we don't know how to like just, let's just rest. We're kind of good at uh, vegging out in front of TV or checking out with social media or other things. But we're not that good at just taking time to rest. I have um, been tr- uh, practicing the Sabbath. So on Fridays, it's a day off for me. Um, I... I'm full-time with the church, but I also do a couple days of construction work. So I have a, a busy week, and I said, hey, my wife and I, we were, she was always like, when are you done? When, when are you here? When are you done? And I'm like, ah, when I'm done? I don't know. Um, and we decided, hey, we're going to take Fridays off. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work at church stuff. I'm not doing, like, it's a day of rest. And that has been one of the best gifts for me, for my soul, for my family. Like the principle is true. Like the Lord can do more (laughs) with his days than I can do in six days. Like I can take a day off. The Lord is good. He will sustain. And so I just want to encourage you as a church, as uh, you guys are able to give Rob a day off. Um, I know Rob has a full-time job, other things, but to, to Sundays are not a day off. (laughs) Let me just tell you that for pastors. When you guys came in around 10 o'clock, Chances are Rob already put in a good five or six hours today of work. Like, it's just not a day off. And that's okay. Like, this is, what it, this is what ministry is. But we have to be a people who value and prioritize rest. And even in the midst of the interruption. So Jesus is like, hey, let's go rest. They get kind of interrupted by this crowd. And Jesus serves them. So he, he's not saying, hey, I'm, we're just going to rest. Like, go away. He serves. He meets the need. But then what happens when the crowd leaves? He retreats to pray. Now, we're all pretty much the same. We, we work hard at the end of the day. When I'm exhausted, we get the kids to bed. We kind of put the house somewhat back in some kind of order. Man, my heart isn't like, oh, I'm ready to go pray. My heart's like, man, I'm just ready to go to bed or just sit down and watch something. Like, I just don't want to think anymore. And then what? That's when we need to retreat and to pray. So what Jesus is, is, is teaching his disciples through the, the ordinariness of the day, the priority is to, is to serve people, but we have to rest. We have to get away. And that should involve times of prayer, not vegging out, but prayer. But as I said earlier, in the midst of Jesus' pursuit to rest, there is an interruption. There's all this commotion. The, the people come and show up and interrupt that. And so what do we see, Jesus? Well, he now prioritizes. He, he loves the people. He's saying, listen, disciples, people, they matter. People matter. And so that's the second point. People, they matter. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. It says in, in the text that he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
sheep without a shepherd. We see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus says a similar thing. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. It's so interesting that this is the, the language that Jesus uses, sheep without a shepherd. I grew up on a small farm and we had a lot of sheep and I never really cared for the sheep on the farm. Like I had to take care of them, but I didn't enjoy them. Let me put it that way. Because sheep are crazy, man. Um, I remember, I wasn't going to tell a story. I didn't even think about it. Rob used to show sheep. As <laughs> Rob hated showing sheep. And um, sheep are literally... If you're not from the Midwest, this is a thing we do. We show animals. Like, if you has anyone ever done 4-H? Slow. Yeah, like a couple people. Okay. So here's what you do. Like you, you clean the animal. You prepared it for weeks or months, and you like take it in a ring, and you're gonna show it and set it up and all these things. And sheep are the hardest animal to show by far because they're literally like they're just crazy. They want to do their own thing. They they get skittish. Um, anyway, back to back to the notes here. Sheep are really really difficult to shepherd. They get scatterbrained. They, they, you know, three run that way, and all of a sudden the whole flock just like goes. They need a shepherd. They need someone to guide and to lead, someone who, who can kind of see and see what's going on and what's coming and protect them. So Jesus has compassion on these people, shows them compassion. It's interesting that as he's teaching the disciples in the midst of the, they've just been serving people, they get back and they just want to rest, and there's a need before them. And Jesus has compassion. He, he's desiring his people to have compassion. This is not an easy thing to do, to be a compassionate person. You know, we have interactions w- with work. We have interactions with um, our coworkers or our family. Someone needs something. And, and we are just, by nature, selfish people. My time is precious. My energy is precious. So don't come asking me for something. I, just, I need to take care of myself. Jesus, again, he shows compassion. We need to be a people who are constantly searching our hearts, uh, taking kind of a a reading. Lord, am I compassionate towards the suffering, towards the needy? Jesus knew all these people that he had compassion on and he was teaching and he then fed them. Some of those would be the same people that when he's riding into Jerusalem, that would be saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then a week later, yelling, crucify him. Jesus knew who the crowd was, and yet he had compassion on them. A good question or a barometer for you on this. As a nation, we have a crisis on our southern border. Now, regardless of of whose fault it is or what we should do about it, there are thousands of people without homes, separated from the culture that they know, trying to find a better life or, or maybe against their will brought here. And it's easy for us to kind of sit back and begin to either blame this person or that person or this side and that side. When all, all that doesn't matter, we are called to be compassionate people, to show compassion. Now, we live up in Ohio, so we're not on the border. We can't necessarily go down there, but we should still be praying. We should be, have a people who, be a people who have compassion for those around us. It turns out one of the things that drive our compassion is what we believe. 
See, what we believe drives our compassion because what we believe, it matters. It matters what we believe. So our beliefs, third point, our beliefs, they matter. You see Jesus, again, interacting with the disciples. And they're like, hey, you know, these people are hungry, let them go. And Jesus says, well, man, you can give them something to eat. And they're just like, what? you know, 200 denarii, that's like a year's wages. Where, where am I going to come up with that, you know? And the irony is Jesus had literally said to them a while back, hey, go out, take no bread, take no food, you know, do ministry, and I'll provide. And here they are like, well, Jesus, like, I don't know how this is going to turn out because obviously you're probably not going to provide, so how are we going to do this? And Jesus says, listen, what do you have? What do you have? What's at your disposal? What gifts, what resources are there? And then you say, well, we got some fish and some bread. And so Jesus get, breaks the bread. He gives thanks. Thanks to the Father for what you have provided. One of the stories of, of George Mueller's life is he, he's in this orphanage. All these kids, there isn't a, a breadcrumb in the place. There is nothing. It's breakfast time. There's nothing to eat. And he says to the kids, he says, well, we have to be in class on time, so let's give thanks to the Lord for what he's provided. Which, if I was like, you know, a 10-year-old kid, I'd be like, what? He hasn't provided anything. And George Mueller starts to pray. And no joke, man, someone knocks on the door. It's a baker. He says, George, Mr. Mueller, the Lord woke me up at 2 a.m. telling me that you needed bread, and I've, I've just made all this bread. Like, I, you, I'm not making it up. Like, there's hundreds of witnesses to this. Then they start eating the bread, and no joke, there's another knock on the door, and the Literally, the milk cart, this is back in the day, broke down. And he said, hey, I have all this milk. Can you come play, take the milk? Because we don't have, I, I got to get off my wagon so I can fix my wagon. Right? George Mueller just believed the Lord is going to provide. And so he, Jesus is also teaching the disciples, like, I will provide. And just as I will provide for you, as, as the sustainer of literal physical bread, so I will give you true life. He will turn with me to Mark chapter 10. You guys will cover this in a few weeks. You see how I'm doing with my time. Rob said I have about 45, 50 minutes. Is that right? <laughs> All right. Um, Mark chapter 10. And we're going to pick this up in verse 46. Again, you guys will cover this. Lord willing, as you get through the rest of Mark. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, this, this is Jesus, a large crowd, and a large crowd around them, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he, beg he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man, said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. 
See, the difference of the, the crowd who, who didn't have bread and they didn't know where it was going to come from. And this blind beggar, I mean, the blind beggar, he knew who Jesus was. He knew what he believed. He knew who the Messiah was. And so he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not saying, do you have some bread for me? Or can you put some, some money in my cup? He's saying, heal me, have mercy on me. Because he understood his position, that he was a man in need of mercy, who could not save himself, couldn't bring himself out of the situation he was in, let alone pay for his sins. See, the blind man knew who the Messiah was. His beliefs matter because his cry wasn't for just bread. His cry was for salvation because he knew that Jesus and Jesus alone could bring salvation. And yes, he brought him sight that day. His eyes were open and he could see. But see, it was out of his belief that he, he cried for mercy. And it's out of our understanding that we need a Savior. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. There's no way to salvation. This is why what we believe matters. The disciples, they're looking for a physical answer, for an immediate physical problem. But the real issue is a crowd who's heard the teachings and it says they're satisfied by the bread, but they're not crying out for mercy. They're not seeking Jesus for salvation. Again, if we're to be a, a compassionate people, if, if we're to prioritize the right things in this life, then we have to know and believe who Jesus is. That we literally, as John 15 says, we can't do anything apart from him. And that doesn't just mean like spiritually better yourselves. It means literally the breath in your lungs is a gift from him. Apart from him, you can't breathe. Apart from him, you cannot wake up tomorrow. You are in desperate need of him. So Jesus is showing the disciples that it's through this, this ordinary Faith. It's this ordinary trusting in who Jesus is. Yes, he's the Messiah. So, man, let's spend time with him in rest and in prayer. Yes, he's the Messiah. So he will provide for us. He will meet our needs physically, yes, spiritually and eternally as well. Yes, he is the Messiah. So we must believe him, follow after him. See, the implication of this passage is that Jesus was not looking to the disciples for answers. Rather, Jesus was looking for the disciples to have just faith that he, Jesus Christ, would meet their needs. Jesus was not looking for people who could go and do great things, who are great communicators, or who could put on phenomenal events for the next 2,000 years. He was just looking for people who said, man, Tomorrow when I'm washing my dishes, Lord, I'm going to be mindful of you and I want to honor and glorify you. Tomorrow when I'm, I'm, I'm working with the kids or I'm at work, Lord, I want to do this unto your glory. 
Just, Lord, there's a need. There's a need in my life. I'm going to trust you with it. I don't know if you're going to heal or if you're going to take the life, but I'm trusting that it's good and that you are good. See, he's just looking for us to trust him in the ordinariness of our life. This leads to extraordinary faithfulness. Again, as God is bringing back his wayward people, this is what he does. This is what he asks. Just believe. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's simple. It's, it's ordinary, but it leads to extraordinary faithfulness. So in application, this is, these are the questions. So if you have a pen, great. If not, just think about these. I have four questions I want to ask. And I'm just going to take a moment and think about it. First question. Do you do ordinary life with eternity in mind? Do you do ordinary life, the things of life, with eternity in mind? Second question, are you content? And I don't want to preface all that, just it's a question. Are you content? Are you satisfied? The third question, what things of this world are pulling your affections away from Jesus? What things of this world are pulling your affections away from Jesus? Last question. Do you believe that Jesus is the bread of life? Do you really believe that he is the bread, the source? John Chapter 6, verse 33 through 37 says, For I, this is Jesus speaking, For I am the bread, sorry, for the bread of God is the one who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the gift of opening your scriptures. Lord, for they are the, our final authority in all things, in life and death. Our hope is in you, in you alone. I pray this morning that this text works into our soul. Lord, we would see that you are calling us to faithfulness and obedience in the ordinary things of life. Lord, convict us where we need convicted. Where maybe there's sin in our life that we, we haven't dealt with. Whether it's pride or laziness or doubt. Lord, help us to have a, more of a desire for you. Stir up our affections for you. 
And Lord, may this local church, may they encourage and build up one another in their faith. Spur one another on. May they encourage each other through just the hardship and the grind that life is. We are here for a purpose, to follow after you. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are here who do not know you. Maybe they've heard about you. They've, they've grown up with this Christians around, but they have not repented and believed. They have not called you Lord and Master and, and submitted themselves to you. Pray, Lord, for their salvation. I pray that you would quite, Lord, you would just break them lovingly, graciously, bring them to their knees into a place of repentance. They may find life. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. You are good. Amen.